Evening all. Oh, it's good to be here. Uh, this is posh, isn't it? I'm going to bring my slippers next time, I think. I felt I should clean my shoes before I came in. It's absolutely lovely to be here with you. I'm really excited. So, uh, so I've, I've prepared quite a few bits of stuff, and we've got some slides and bits and, and, th- and, bits and pieces. Um, but I, I'm up for not using all of those. Um, because I don't know, I, I feel just from time to time, it, does, it doesn't happen uh, to me very often. And I, th- I kind of wish it would happen more often, but then I might get used to it. I just feel like when I'm in some worship stuff, I feel like a heaviness in a good way, like a sickness of God's presence in a good way. And I felt that tonight. And that you might, you, I mean, like you're all godly, you feel it every week, I realise. But for us slightly fleshy people, we don't kind of feel it all the time. And so I'm really expectant that God's going to deposit something and has deposited something in us this evening. So I've, I've, I've prepared for this evening, you'll be pleased to know. Um, but I'm prepared not to go with everything. Is that all right? I mean, you might as well say, yeah, because that's what's happening. <laughs> It's not going to change, is it? But let, let's, let's, let's start with what I prepared, because that's a good place to start with. And just, just to say, if it all goes wrong on the media, all right, it's, it's my fault, all right? Because I'm not used to not having somebody do my slides for me, all right? So there's no pressure on the tech guys at all. This is purely down to me, all right? Don't let me down. <laughs> it's great. It's hard for me because I'm a little bit of a control freak. Um, hmm. But I'm handling it all right. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, so a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, you know, like as you get older, you say a few years ago, but it's like 35 years ago or something, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and I'm doing that a lot recently. And, um, but a few years ago-ish, um, I-, I met this guy. I became quite good mates with this guy called Dave. And um, Dave was really, really interesting because he, like, he was like, in terms of his faith, he was either red hot or freezing cold. Anybody, I'm going to say anybody here like that, but you don't need to identify yourself. Um, and, but what was really interesting about Dave is like when he was on it, he was on it. It's like, watch out world. Do you know what I mean? And when he wasn't on it, it's like the world couldn't find him. That was like, that was the deal. Um, And I actually found Dave really, really inspirational. Like, he would admit, uh, and if I went slightly pastoral for a moment, I'd be counselling to find a little bit more middle ground uh, because I felt it was what he needed. But what I loved about Dave is when he was in, he was in. So we were talking about stuff, and he, he actually had all sorts of, uh, he was a very successful business, businessman, he had all sorts of stuff going on in his life, and um, I, I found out, and it, this really inspired me, that basically, um, he's always been like that. So when he, be, he became a Christian on a Friday night, and then on Saturday morning, he woke up and thought, what have I done? And he actually prayed to God on that Saturday morning, words to the effect of, Lord, I want to take it back. Now, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can technically start a prayer about taking it back with the word Lord. It seems a bit wrong, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? But he went, I've made a big mistake and I'm, I'm, I'm becoming, unbecoming a Christian. Now, I don't know theologically what happens with that. I really, really don't. I don't kind of know where on earth that fits on with the, like, one saved, always saved, and all that kind of stuff. You can debate that in small groups <laughs> another evening, okay? Um, but ever since I met that, now, he's like, he's with the Lord now. He's been back with God for many years, and, and actually, he has kind of balanced out a little bit. Um, but when I met Dave, and when I... When I first started talking about t- talking to Dave, um, it just made me realise how, I, I guess, how clinical we can sometimes be 
when it comes to people becoming Christians. And um, what I want to do over the course of the next three hours, it, <laughs> is there a joke there or something? Over the course of the next few moments, it's just to go on a bit of a journey to help us think a little bit more about that in terms of how understanding that can help us when it comes to us sharing our faith. But I want to I wanna branch off in a couple of other things because I felt God drop some things into my heart um, as we were worshipping a little bit and, and, and of course during the preparation as well. So we're going to branch off a little bit but I do want to share with you some stuff that is really accelerated in my heart when it comes to reaching those that don't know God. It's really interesting. You mentioned the word evangelism and uh, many, many people have, which I'm really pleased Leon shared those stories um, at the beginning of, of, just before I came on rather, about, about those who are coming to faith. Because lots of people think when it comes to evangelism, but it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, so I, I was doing, you've done reason to believe, or I've done reason to believe here. Uh, with, with many of you a few years ago. And uh, I, was, I was doing Reason to Believe with a church in Loughborough. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Reason to Believe is basically looking at some of the, the big objections that people have when it, when it comes to believing in God. So we look at suffering, etc., etc. And uh, at the end of the evening, I think it might have been week three or four, I can't quite fully remember, could have even been at the end, um, I invite people to say what I call a big yes to God to become Christians. They've been investigating, having a little look into it. And so we give this opportunity. And uh, so I do that. And the way that I tend to do it is I say to people, lead them through it. And if, if you said uh, yes to God this evening, I've got a little booklet um, that I'd love to give to you. Many of you have seen that booklet. It's a booklet called the Journey Booklet. And uh, so I waited at the end and I said, come and meet me on the door and um, that'll be great. So this lady came, she would have been 26, 27 years old, something like that, and um, she came up to me and said, oh Mark, can I have one of your booklets? I said, yeah, 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 of course you can. Uh, did, so I gave her the booklet, gave her the booklet. Now what I like to do is to find out where people are at, so I said to her, oh, did you say yes to God this evening? And she said, oh no, well I mean, what do you do? I mean, like, give me my booklet back. I mean, what do you do? In, in the, so I said to her, oh, you, so did anything happen? Did, like, did this mean, me, evening mean anything for you? And she said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She said, oh, no. She said, I, I said yes to God just to let you know two years ago. And I thought, well, that's a long time, isn't it? Two years, like, get, get, saying yes to God and getting some follow-up literature. I mean, that's like, that's shades long, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So I said, well, did this evening help you in any way? She said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, yes, to Christianity this evening. I thought, oh, right. I said to her, externally, I was cool about it. Internally, I'm going, how does that work then? Because <laughs> that didn't work in my little comfortable theological framework. So I said to her, um, well, I'm, I'm really glad you said yes to Christianity this evening. It's great that you've said yes to Jesus dying for you on the cross. And I was just about to, you know, go into it. She said, oh, let me stop you there. I said, what do you mean? She said, I haven't, I haven't said yes to Jesus dying on the cross. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, there's a link, isn't there? <laughs> I, I mean, is it me or is it me? Do you know what I mean? There's a link, isn't there? If you're going to say yes to Christianity, there's a link, isn't there, with Jesus? Do you know what I mean? In my theological framework, but in her developing theological framework, she didn't create those links. Now, what was really interesting, so I, I just said to her, I said, look, of course, love you to have the booklet. It's great that you've said yes to Christianity. And as we discussed and chatted a little bit, I realised where she'd where she was, and I said to her, look, I said, don't leave it too long before you say yes to Jesus. Because actually Jesus is the person that makes Christianity really make sense. But this is what I believe was happening.
She'd said yes to God. She couldn't cope with or didn't understand or hadn't even looked at, but she could embrace that bit. And then over a couple of years, she said yes to Christianity, and that could fit in. And actually, I found out a couple of years after that, she obviously worked in twos. She said, yeah, she said yes to Jesus. I got an email from her saying, just to let you know, I've said yes to Jesus and I'm getting baptized in a couple of months' time, which is just fantastic, isn't it? But like when I started doing the evangelism, like I used to preach in my appeals, if you're not saying yes to God, you're, I didn't quite shake like that. I don't fully know why I felt I should do that. I just felt like for the, it's the building. I'm overcome by the building. That's what it is. I said, like, if you're not saying yes to God, you're saying no. And that, it's like I, I cringe now when I analyze back. Because you know what? I honestly believe that just because somebody isn't saying yes to God, it doesn't mean they're saying no. But in all of our evangelism that we've done historically, and even if our, if our faith sharing, we feel if we haven't got somebody signed, sealed, delivered, and filling in a gift aid form in five minutes flat, we failed. And unfortunately, then what happens is we get so fixated on the big decision. Hey, listen, I want people to say the yes to God. But my I suggest to you, sometimes what we see as the big yes is actually just another little yes, potentially the last little yes that somebody says. Because for some people, saying the big yes is actually a philosophical thing, not a theological thing. What I mean by that is somebody deciding, I'm actually going to look into the Christian faith, is a bigger yes for them than even saying yes to God further down the line. Now, of course, theologically, there's bigger implications to somebody saying the big yes, in other words, becoming a Christian. But you know what I'm discovering the more, and so some of you will have heard me talk a little bit about this in the past. We've, we've, um, we've referenced it a bit when we did the boot camp several, several years ago. But in me is this increasing sense. And like, I, there's been a couple of things that God has done in me or generated in me or, and, and, and kind of in a sense accelerated in me. I actually am more and more convinced that God moves more in the small and the little than he does in the big and the extravagant. And I think that's true for us in our own discipleship. Actually, it's really true when it comes to somebody becoming a Christian. So I really want to encourage us to begin to think a little bit more when we're sharing our faith. I, th I think there's a... A few things that, that might stop evangelism uh, working. If we could just have a little look on the slides, I'm just going to give a little bit of guidance. Sometimes I think there's a distortion of the Christian message. And, I, you know, let's, let's make sure we never water anything down. The temptation culturally is just to water it down. I'm not talking about watering it down when we allow for people's journey. What I'm actually talking about is giving greater potential and capacity for things to really sink in. So I'm into gardening, okay? No, that's not true. My wife is into gardening, therefore I'm into gardening. You know what I'm saying? And um, I, I was watching a few years ago, and now it's the highlight of my year, um, after the Elim Conference, is the Six Nations Rugby. I love it, love it, absolutely love it. It doesn't take much to make me happy. Quarter of midget gems, <laughs> bottle of cherry Pepsi Max, and the Six Nations. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm good, I'm happy, I'm happy. And um, there's one particular time when England were playing France, and um, Emma said to me, Emma's my wife, um, she said to me, oh, uh, Darling, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going out. I've bought these plants. Would you mind putting them in? And I thought, no. <laughs> I did mind putting them in, but I've learned a lot in life. And one of the things I've learned is think ye much, say ye little. That's what I've learned. <laughs> so inside I'm going, I'd rather not, but externally I'm going, no, love, it's an absolute pleasure. 
And she said, I'm going out for a couple of hours. Can you have them done by the time I'm coming? And I thought, well, first half, go out, bit in between, I can bang them in. No problem at all. Bang them in, that's not a problem. Second half, watch the rugby. Emma comes home, sees me sitting down, thinks I haven't done it. Show her I have done it. Happy days, you would think. So um, that's what happened. I, I put, the, put the plants in. She, she came home. She saw me sat down. She said, have you done it? I said, done it, love. Easy. They're in. Those bad boys are never coming out again. Don't you worry about that. They're in. So she said, uh, come outside with me. And she grabbed me by the hand. And I felt like, like seven. You know what I mean? I've only once had that experience with her before when we planted an apple tree in our home in Huddersfield and she took me out into the garden to show me the first apple. She grabbed a hold of my hand then. She said, follow me. I said, where are you taking me? She said, come and look at this apple. I thought, whoa. Whoa. Last time this happened, sin entered the world. Uh, sickness came. I'm not running the risk. So she took me out. Oh, man, and she said this phrase to me that just destroyed me. I had no comeback. She said, look at them. They're not in. I said, look, they're in. She said, you haven't even watered them. I said, have you seen the weather forecast? It's going to absolutely lash it down tomorrow. I don't think you need to worry about them being watered. She said, no, you've, you've not put them in properly. You've not watered them. You've got to get the water into the roots. It doesn't matter where it's raining tomorrow. You've got to give them a good soaking. You've not put them in. And this is what she said to me. She said, you were so keen to plant everything, you planted nothing. Sometimes in our faith sharing, in our desire to see people come to Christ, and that's fantastic, we can like let them have the M16 of the gospel. We give them everything. The truth is, we've been so keen to plant everything, we've planted nothing. And what I want to encourage you to do is begin to think, how can I plant something of meaning, something of significance when it comes to my friends? Sometimes we can think we've got the whole message across, but because we've not communicated it well, we've actually distorted it, we've watered it down, we've changed it somewhat. I think we've got some bad methods that we need to begin to change. I'm not going to go too much in, into that because I want to race through these uh, next few slides just to get to, uh, to another part that I want to share with you. But I, th I think we have got some bad methods from the past which we need to leave there. But we've got some, bad, some, some methods that we used in the past which we can still use now and we need to bring those forward. And what, one of my big concerns in the church is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, and this is the danger with kind of trying to engage with culture. If we're not careful, we end up forgetting everything about the past. And we don't need to do that. We might have to tweak it or change it. Some of it needs to go. But we can go into brand new methods and still be ineffective. So we've got to think a little bit about that. But then I think there's a lack of motivation uh, in the church. I don't want to talk too much about that because... You know, you lot are out, so you're clearly motivated. But I think there is a little bit of that. I think sometimes there's a lack of love in the church. And I think that needs to increase. It's not something we can do ourselves. I remember preaching. I may have shared this illustration with you before. I'm not sure, but I'm going to say it again. I remember preaching about love and saying, well, I can't make myself love people more. And then the Holy Spirit hit me in the heart with an arrow and I thought, what, what's that about? And I, I said to the church, said, look, forget that. Uh, strike that off. I, I shouldn't have said that and I don't know why and I'm driving home and I'm asking God why. And I just felt like God said to me, you can make yourself love people more who don't know me by spending time with them. And I've discovered like, I, I connected with loads of people that don't know God and they're my best mates. I love them to bits. Love them to bits. Why? Because I spent time with them. How many of you know that when you spend time with people, you tend to not judge them? We do, don't we? We can very easily judge because we judge from a distance. And when we spend a bit of time, oh man, if only as a world we could learn to spend a bit more time with each other and understand each other, maybe we wouldn't judge each other. 
But here's the thing that really impacts me. I think sometimes there's a lack of God's power. I believe in being the best communicator that I can. It eats me alive. I'm thinking about it all the time. I stress over it sometimes. Because what, what we have to share, this gospel, it's so precious. It's so beautiful. Yes, I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit, but do you know what? I am going to do everything that I can to be the best communicator of this stuff that I possibly can. But do you know what? If I only did that, and here's my little bit of honesty. Here's my problem. Would you like me to share about my problem? Some of you are far too keen. My problem is I'm an activist. I do more than I should, and I don't pray as much as I should. Some of you pray more than you should and don't do enough. I'll let you decide which one it is when it comes to sharing our faith. But you know what? We do need to pray more. Do you remember back in the day when we used to preach about holiness? And now we don't because it's like it's a bit legalistic, isn't it? But I, I think there's a new call going out. I, I, think we, I think we've got to live more holy lives. I think we've got to strive to be more honouring to God. Well, look, okay, look, you, you're all okay. Me. I've got, I've got to sort it out. I'm a mess. Anybody else a mess? Yeah? Three of us. Right, the rest of you are liars. All right? You're a mess now. I'm a mess sometimes and I, I, I need cleaning up. I need more of God's power. I'm acutely aware of this. This has been blowing my mind this year. God doesn't need you and me. If you're in doubt about that, you weren't mentioned in the first three chapters when God created the world. When God said, let us, your name wasn't in there. Not even in the Amplified. <laughs> Just Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they did a great job. Didn't need us. I believe God doesn't need me. Now here's, here's the head doer for me. This is what's racing in me at the moment. And one of the things that I really feel God wants to deposit into us this evening. God doesn't need me and yet he has chosen in his wisdom, in his grace, to reduce most of his activity on this earth through you and through me. Now, when that gets a hold of you, you move from burden and have to to privilege and want to. And I think there's a massive need in the church to move from burden and have to to privilege and want to. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. And um, this, this phrase... Actually, I was preaching somewhere just this past Sunday. I've never said this phrase before, and I wasn't planning to use it tonight particularly, but I just felt when I was sat down there that when we become a Christian, here we go, listen to this. If you want something to tweet, this is it. (laughs) Becoming Becoming a Christian is about the uniqueness of God connecting with the uniqueness of you. It's about the uniqueness of God connecting with the uniqueness of you. And that's got my heart racing. Honestly, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about God reducing most of his activity on planet Earth through me. And I can't stop thinking about the uniqueness of God with the uniqueness of me combining and in that, God bringing about his purposes in our world. It's beautiful, isn't it? When you, when you get a hold of these things, I mean, they're just incredible. 
So I think we've got to spend a little bit more time and Mark Greenwood's got to spend a little bit more time thinking about getting powered up and getting revved up and getting filled and refilled and understanding that God wants to do some incredible stuff and he's chosen in his wisdom and his grace to reduce his activity through me, through the uniqueness of Mark Greenwood, through the uniqueness of you. You are unique in your circle of influence. Nobody knows the people that you know and nobody knows the people that you know in the way that you know them that's the beautiful thing so of course you've got something that God wants to do through you into the lives of other people so that's me going off track a little bit I want to come back to it now because I do want to talk about a couple of things that are practical and really important I think when it comes to evangelism all those all those things that we've covered can hinder us being effective but actually I think we've got next slide please a wrong understanding of success so I've been carrying for many, many years, Lord, I really don't want to hold back from giving people an opportunity to become Christians. But I don't want to just be so focused on the big yes that I forget those two-year interval type people. You know, the people that can cope with accepting one bit, but not necessarily the other bit yet. I don't want to forget about that. And I'm not happy, Lord, with just saying, if you want to find out more, speak to the friend that brought you. I'm not happy with that, God. Because I really want to value these small moments. I began to really pray to God about it. And I felt God give me this phrase, which some of you will have heard me use evangelistically when I've been here. Big yes, little yes, healthy maybe. Big yes about giving people an opportunity to say to become a Christian. Little yes about giving people an opportunity, an intentional decision to find out more, to investigate. And a healthy maybe, inviting people to become or remain open-minded about the Christian faith. And I was carrying this for a long time, and I thought, but Lord, how does, this, how does this square up in the Scriptures? And I really felt God, about 18 months, two years ago, draw me to this passage, Acts 26, 28, if you want to turn in your Bible. I'm not here to give you an in-depth Bible study this evening. I want to encourage you, inspire you, give you a few practical things. But just look at this, Acts 26, 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Now then, a little bit of context for us this evening. Paul stood in front of King Agrippa and Festus, all right? He's sharing his story. You get the full account of Paul's testimony in Acts 20, 26. You get a slightly less full account in Acts 9, forgive me, uh, when, when we, we see the, the narrative of the event happening. When Paul tells his testimony, you see some really, really, really interesting things. So he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa. Festus is kicking off. He's saying, Paul, you're out of your mind. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not out of my mind. And he turns back to King Agrippa. And towards the end of the chapter, as he's given his testimony, as he's, when he said to King Agrippa, what I'm saying is reasonable, this is when King Agrippa says, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul replied, verse 29, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become as I am, except for these chains. Now if you read the King James and the RSV, they put it, almost thou persuadest me, which is still great. Most scholars agree that the more accurate translation is that, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Now, here's an interesting thing. I think Paul understood more about the long-term process of somebody becoming a Christian than we think. Whenever we think about Paul's testimony, or Saul, in that moment before, with his other name, we think about the Damascus Road experience. And you hear lots and lots of people who are telling their story saying, well, I didn't have a Damascus Road experience like Paul. And what they mean by that is they didn't have this blinding flash of light and went from not believing to suddenly believing. That's not what the Damascus Road experience that Saul had was. The only truth about what they've said is the name, Damascus Road. You see, what you've got to understand about Saul, he was already passionate about God. He already believed in God. He, he, he was like, I mean, if you look at his passion, 
you, you can't fall him on passion, can you? I mean, maybe a little bit misguided, but you couldn't fall him on passion. I mean, he was sold out as sold out can be. So he already believed in God. What Saul needed was a revelation of the Jesus he was trying to kill Christians for following. That's what he needed. And that's who he met on the Damascus Road. That was the revelation that he had, Jesus. So Saul, I don't know how long Saul had been a follower of God, a lot of years. And that's why I think Saul understood the long time. Saul's probably thinking to himself, well, it took me ages. And further digging around shows us that um, some scholars suggest that it was Saul's, uh, either his sister or his sister-in-law, I can't quite remember, forgive me, had become a Christian. We know he was present at the stoning of Stephen. But here's the, here's the beaut, here's the beaut. What you see God saying uh, to Saul in um, verse 14 when he's sharing his story in Acts 26 and he references in verse 14, you can read it there, that Jesus spoke to him and said, why do you think you can kick against the goads? A goad is a long piece of wood. It's fatter at one end and, and thinner at the other end. And it's, it's what a farmer would use with oxen that weren't going the way he wanted them to go. And he'd give them lots of short, Little jabs, nothing that would hurt them. It wasn't one big one, it was lots of short ones. Jesus is saying, Do you think you can kick against my goading? Do you think you can kick against these little jabs where I've been pushing you down the way to following me? So there's this whole process going by. But listen, this is good. So Saul then goes from that, so he just had this massive impact moment with Jesus. He then goes to a small group, straight street. Home group. And he spends some time with somebody that God's prepared to nurture him and start those early moments of discipleship and to process what's just happened to him even more. You see, ladies and gentlemen, my I suggest to you, Saul's conversion is not unlike many people's conversion today. In fact, I would argue it's a perfect pattern. It's not about going from not believing to suddenly believing. It's overnight. It's about a long term process and in our evangelism we've got to allow for that you see we can't create souls but we can create journey we can't create conversions but we can create conversations and that is all we're meant to do just to create the conversations create journey and part of this big yes little yes healthy maybe that we're going to be developing a lot more as an evangelism strategy throughout Elim is, is actually what I feel God has spoken to me about, about how we can begin to accelerate that. Um, I just need to check what time I'm meant to finish because I, I didn't realise what time I got up. But okay, lovely, lovely, thank you. And um, he, he kind of did that. That's because then you're going, what did you say that time to him for? No, no. so that's why we're mouthing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, um, I lease a car and um, it's the right thing for me to do. Uh, it works really well. I, I do about 25 to 30,000 miles a year. And so it just, just works out. It's not, it doesn't work out for everybody. And, and, and I've got a, a lease car. It works great. I love the little car. It's got lots of gadgets on. Got Apple Play. That's great fun, that is. Uh, Siri. I can text people. Uh, it's gone wrong a few times. I'm going to tell you some of the words she's repeated back because it wouldn't be appropriate. But um, sometimes it has honestly gone a bit. Once when my daughter was in the car, she laughed. I tried to say, that's not something you laugh at, love. Whereas inside, I'm, it's, yeah, I'm laughing too. But, um, so I got this lease car. And I, about every two years, the lease company contact me. And uh, they say to me, oh, we'd like to give you, like the next model, you can have it at the same price. Um, you, you're a loyal customer and they're not flanning me you know it's, it's true it always works out really good there's no hidden extras or anything like that and this has happened now for several several years and it's interesting because every time it comes when they contact me I go right is this the right thing to do is it, am, I doing the, am I doing the right thing and I sit down and I work it all out. I chat with Emma, my wife. I said, love, is this the right thing because you know it's such and such a payment per month and Emma says to me yeah but your car doesn't let you down and 
You get a courtesy car when you need the servicing, and uh, you don't have to do this. It's, it's hassle-free since you've had a lease car. You can plan your expenses. You know what you're going to be paying. And, and she's right. She's absolutely right. And, 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 and every two years, I have this conversation. And I go back, and I try and get the best deal. And I go, oh, I'm not sure. And, and, I, and I, I, I just turmoil inside. I'm wrestling it. All right, and then eventually I go, yeah, it, it, is, it is the best thing to do. It, it, it's the right decision. And, and I, make, I make the decision. And I get really excited because I like cars, you see. And like, especially when it's got like new gadgets that the previous model didn't have. I love all that stuff. Like lights that follow you around the bends. Oh, that is great fun. I mean, I do it just for a laugh. It's, it's really exciting. So I know it's the right thing to do. And I sign on the dotted line. The minute I sign on the dotted line, I go, what have I done? What have I done? Is anybody else like that, yeah? He's like, what were you thinking of, you idiot? You're, you idiot. And then I'm, I'm like, one time I went, can I, can I change my mind? Well, you've got, a, you've got a month cooling off period. Okay, got a month cooling off period. And then I get through it. Month, no, I'm going to keep it, going to keep it. A month cooling off period is gone. What have I done? Why did I send it back? Why did I send it back? Honestly, like, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Now, I, I go through that a lot with lots of things. Like, food, anybody ever get food envy? Anybody get meal envy? So you, you go to a restaurant, you order your meal, and you're really happy until somebody else's goes past. I want, I want that one. Anybody else like that? Yeah, good, good. Some of you are quite proud of that food envy, aren't you? You were much happier to put your hand up for that one, I noticed. So decision-making process is a nightmare because there's a human dynamic involved with making any kind of decision. What I feel we don't allow for when somebody becomes a Christian is the human dynamic of making a decision. There is a spiritual dynamic. I, I, I understand nothing about spiritual warfare. I've got all on understanding what I need to understand for what I do. But what I do believe is God showed me once that there is never more a more intense moment of spiritual activity in the heavenly realms than when a person is considering Christ. It goes berserk. Absolutely bonkers. If you build into that the human dynamic of change... Then you begin to understand, actually, me inviting somebody to become a Christian who, let's say, has lived for 50 years, and I'm going, you know, just give your life over to God. What they're saying is, I'm admitting that the way that I've lived my life for the last 50 years was wrong. That's big. That is massive. And that's why I say to you, for some people... Um, psychologically, just to begin to even be willing to look into the Christian faith is a massive decision. Because for 50 years, they've not felt that they've needed God. They've not felt that that was an important part of life and now they're willing to look into it. They may be thinking, I'm going to look into this because this might be real, this might be true. And that's why for some people a big yes could simply be, I'm going to look into it. And I think we've got to celebrate that and get excited by that and enjoy that for all it's worth. And don't get frustrated. I, I did an event, a Comedy and Christianity event. For, for those of you who don't know what a Comedy and Christianity event is, it's an event where there's some Comedy and Christianity. <laughs> so that helped. I thought that's brought some real insight for you. So maybe taking notes on that bit, aren't you? And... Uh, this 80-year-old this lady came up to me at the beginning. She said, oh, I'm really excited. I said, oh, why is that? She said, my husband's here tonight. We've been married for such and such. I've been a Christian for, let's say, sacred argument, 40 years, and I've nagged him like crazy to come to church, and he, and he never, never would. And uh, tonight he said he'll come because he's just fascinated about how comedy and Christianity can work together. She said, I'm really believing he's going to get saved. And I looked at the lady. I said, he won't. She went, what? I said, he won't. He won't become a Christian tonight. It's not what the plan is. He won't become a Christian. And she looked at me and said, don't, don't have a lack of faith. 
So it's not like a faith. Not even preaching the gospel tonight. We're just going to challenge people to look into Christianity. He's not going to become a Christian tonight. You went, how can you say that? I've really been praying and believing and, and shandying and everything. I said, well, no, he won't. He won't. He won't. And then I did say to him, I mean, he could, but that's nothing to do with me. I'm not expecting him this evening. So we did the event. Some of you are thinking I've got a real lack of faith. You don't quite know. Some of you are going, I think you might be going somewhere with this, Mark, but right now I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable, all right? A bit uncomfortable. It's because I realise that there's a certain process that people need to go through. So he came to the event, loved it, loved it. At the end, a lady came to see me, said, don't let him see me talking to you. She had tears in her eyes. said he didn't become a Christian. And I didn't say I told you so, but I wanted to say that, all right? Some of you think I'm being really, really harsh. And uh, I, I did say to her, I didn't think he would. I mean, I'm up for it, but I didn't think he would. I said, why do you say that, Mark? I said, well, just, just help me. Did, did he enjoy the evening? He said, oh, he loved it. He loved it. I said, did he, did he say anything else to you? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I'm going to come to church with you on Sunday morning. And I said to her, that's fantastic. That's the result. That's the win. Because for him, the big decision was, I've got to look into this. And actually, he came to faith over the period of the next few years, he went and did Alpha and did various bits and stuff. If I was to say to you that that kind of story was not the norm, I'd be lying. That's the norm. I don't know anybody. I'm sure there are people that on a Tuesday weren't a Christian, woke up and wanted to become a Christian on a Wednesday. I've not met anybody where it happens that quick. My dad became a Christian in quite a short period of time, but even then you trace it back, you could see that some stuff was happening. And I think we've culturally, we don't hold back from giving people opportunities to become Christians, but I think culturally in our personal evangelism and in our church evangelism, we need to position ourselves in the healthy maybe. Get more people's perceptions changed about the Christian faith and get them more and more willing to examine. And it'll happen. Honestly, it'll happen. But we've got to learn to be sensitive because some of us, we get an opportunity and we plant everything. But in actual fact, we plant nothing. And that's something we've got to really, really watch. Let me... um, let me introduce you to, um, it's a slide that has positive and a thumb up. I'm just racing on. So it's about three or four slides after the one that you've just been to. The biggest, look, yes, healthy maybe. And then, a, oh, there, red hot, superb, thank you. Okay, let me, um, can I have this telly? Because I haven't got one this size at home. <laughs> this is fantastic. I'll bring it back for Sundays. It's fantastic. Okay, so... Um, this is, this is a thing called Talking Jesus Research. Some of you may have heard of it. If you've not heard it, you need to Google Talking Jesus Survey PDF and download it. It will transform the way you view people and how they think about Christians. Really interesting. So I've been involved a little bit with this, not in the early stages, but... Um, There was a a research company employed by uh, the key leaders of the denominations and evangelistic organizations. And they said, we want to find out what people out there think about Christians. Not about the church or about the institution, but what they think about Christians. And so they surveyed 1,000 people, this research company. Um, And uh, it's not... I understand there are Christians who who run it and own it, but it's not a Christian company per se. So they do loads of secular research. They use the standard criteria, which is you go around a particular area. So let's say you want to find out what the UK believes about Christians. So you survey a thousand people from the UK. You go to different demographics. You go to different cities, different towns, different kind of class systems, different cultures, you get as, as broad a sweep as you can. And this is standard criteria. A thousand people were surveyed about what they thought about Christians and various other things. And that PDF I told you to download 
is the research. That's the results. There's loads of brilliant stuff in there. Do you know what? Some of the research showed that most people out there know of a Christian and many have had conversations with Christians and they like them. So when that research came back, most of the church leaders thought this can't be true. I have to say, I was a little bit shocked too. So they said, we'll do more research. And, and Comrades, the, the organization that did it, said we've never been asked to do more research because a thousand people is like what you do it with. So we don't care. So they raised 25,000 more pounds or so and interviewed a further group of people. And the stats didn't change. The percentages were pretty well the same. But here's the exciting thing, ladies and gentlemen. One in five people surveyed wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. One in five people surveyed were open and interested in an experience or encounter with Jesus Christ. That's all right. That excites me. That is that is accelerated something in me. So I've got this personal goal to reach as well, I set myself a target of 10,000 people. I want to reach 10,000 people. And there's a reason why 10,000. I'm not going to go into it this evening. But there's, I want to reach 10,000 people. Personally, I, Mark Greenwood, want to reach 10,000 people with the gospel before I die. And I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about, hear me right when I put this. I'm not talking about Mark Greenwood, the professional evangelist here. I'm talking about Mark Greenwood, the Christian. Because before I'm an evangelist and a leader in the church, I'm a Christian. Okay, please don't look at how well I am or aren't doing professionally and use that as a gauge of well, well I'm doing or not doing personally. In personal evangelism, I want to reach 10,000 people before I die. So I, some of you all know about this. I, I put my testimony into a little, little leaflet. It's nothing vibrant. It's not a potential Hollywood blockbuster movie. I wasn't the head of a global crime ring at the age of five or anything like that. It's a pretty normal story. But I'm committed to give it out to 10,000 people before I die. I'm going to have to get a reprint. I'm doing all right. Because you know what? Once you get intentional, you crack on with it. It's quite habitual, you know. Sharing your faith is habitual. It, it, it takes a while to establish it. But once you establish it, it's like the antennae are up. And you just, you just do it. We just do it without thinking. So I've got into the zone. And sometimes I get out of the zone because I'm a little bit like that. Sometimes I'm in, sometimes I'm out. I'm the same with dieting. Okay, there's no change. But when I read this research, I thought, I'm up for this. I'm up for this. If you tomorrow chat to five people, there's a high potential that one of those could be interested in an encounter with Jesus. Could be interesting even at just wanting to know more about that. One in every five people. Crack on. Crack on. I'm, I'm up for it. Are you up for it? Because I, I think one in five... Now, some of you are going, yeah, well, that's all in life. Oh, chill out, will you? Do me heading. One in five. There's one in five people on my street are interested in an encounter with Jesus. There's one in five people on my street that would look to, love to look into Jesus. I've made a decision. I want to reach my street with Jesus. I've got about 50 houses. That means... Is it 10? 10 people are interested how about that 10 people are interested in an encounter with Jesus 10 people are interested in finding out more oh man I Mark Green okay honesty time honesty time I am fed up with Mark Greenwood saying what if they won't or what if they don't preaching to me you join me if you want to right what if they don't believe? Or what if they don't have a conversation? Or what if, oh, forget that for a game of soldiers. What if they might? What if they might want a conversation? What if one in five of your university friends, your school friends, your family members, your street, your workplace, what if one in five? Where would we put them? Healthy, maybe? Open to it. One in five people that you and I meet are a healthy maybe. What an exciting opportunity. Here's a little challenge to bring it back to something to our heart as well. I, I really feel quite challenged about this. When I was preparing what I wanted to chat about, because 
The seminar version of this, I run in lots of places. I'm not bringing you the seminar version this evening. I'm bringing you some bits of seminar stuff, but I'm trying to just catch something from God, hopefully, that he might want to pass on to us. So when this is done as a seminar version, uh, clearly there's a little bit more structure to it. But here's, here's the thought now, just for us, non-seminar version. All right. Does my life make those one in five want to know more about Jesus? Have you heard of an amuse-bouche? And an amuse-bouche is French for exciting your gob, all right? That's what amuse-bouche means. And uh, an amuse-bouche is, is something that's eaten in, in French fine dining. It's before you get to the starter. As you know, I have much expertise in French fine dining, okay? And I haven't. Some of you are thinking, well, we would never have guessed that. Yeah, that's because I'm not, okay? But have you, have you, have you ever had canapes? Yeah, let me, let me put it into sort of black country, canapes. <laughs> yeah, I've never had a canape. <laughs> yeah. Now you know what I mean, don't you, all right? So, so canapes are kind of like an amuse-bouche. The idea is that they're not a starter, but they get your mouth so excited that you cannot wait to sit down and eat. I wonder, with Mark Greenwood's friends and family and neighbours, is he an amuse-bouche? Is there something about the way I live my life that they cannot wait to get to know about Jesus? I really want to pray that. I want my life to create healthy maybes. I want my life to have such an impact in the people that I meet that they have to be forced to say, maybe there's something in this Christianity. Because I look at Mark's life. It's a desire. I'm not saying that I'm there by any stretch of the imagination. But that's something that I want. I'm going to stop. Because I think I've said all that the Lord wants me to say.